Welcome to the Brody Sattva Podcast. I'm Enoch Daniel. Like a lot of men of a certain age, my good friend Sosh and I have felt a sense of dissatisfaction. We're settled and successful, but we also have our struggles and personal demons. For the past couple of years, we've been on a journey to become better men. By that, I mean better husbands, better fathers, better human beings, just better at this thing called life. And now we've decided to share that journey with you and invite you along for the ride. We'll be speaking with each other, as well as others, with wisdom to share, and hopefully some of you. We're here to ask the important questions, such as, how can we be better men and still tell dick jokes? And what can a couple of bros learn about the path to enlightenment anyway? Let's find out and become better together. Get jacked on mindfulness, philosophy, mental health, and connection, starting right Welcome once again to the Brody Sattva Podcast. We are so pleased today to have Glenn McCracken on our show for a conversation. Glenn hails from Arkansas. That's where he grew up. That's where he went to school. He is trained as a licensed professional counselor. He is the founder and president of the Tav Life, as well as SparkFit Wellness Training. And with these two organizations, he combines a passion both for mental health and physical fitness with some interesting synergies there. Full disclosure, he is also Sosha's counselor. That's how we know him. We talk quite a bit about his journey into becoming a counselor, including some dark turns that journey took along the way. But we end up talking a good deal about his faith. Glenn has an incredibly thoughtful version of Christianity, which I find very compelling. As a very backslidden Baptist, I've spent my whole life wrestling with questions of faith, and I find it interesting where he landed in those wrestling matches as opposed to where I did. Like Agrippa said to Paul, I think, almost thou persuadest me. Quick note about the recording here. The interview's a bit of a mess. Our sound levels are not quite up to snuff. Sosha's wife had stolen his microphone. Also, we lose Sosh halfway through the interview due to a family emergency. Don't worry, he just had to pick up his kid. Also, Glenn's battery dies on his laptop at the end, so uh, the interview ends with a little bit of a lack of closure. <laughs> I questioned whether we wanted to release the interview, given it was such a mess. However, I thought there was plenty of uh, gold in there to make it worth releasing. And maybe we'll have Glenn back someday to fill in the hole, so to speak. Anyway, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Welcome uh, to the... What is it again? Enoch? <laughs> the Brody Sattva <laughs> Podcast. Welcome to the Brody Sattva podcast. Um, today we have a great pleasure um, speaking with, uh, how do I describe this man? Well, let's start with this. Uh, his name's Glenn McCracken. Um, basically, if I had to sum up Glenn, he's the Robin Williams to my Matt Damon. Uh, this is uh, my guru. This is my, my shrink, my friend, uh, a, a brother that's really helped me in the lowest points of my life and celebrated some of the highest points and then slaps me around every now and then so well that I bring my kids to him so he can do the same thing. He's helping me be a better man, a better father. Uh, so without further ado, Glenn McCrack. Before we go any further, I, I've got to say, I always thought you were a more Ben Affleck in that movie. But, um... <laughs> totally. <laughs> Perhaps that's the reason is because you would walk in and ace the test. <laughs> I was outside smoking a cigarette, skipping glass. Well, I can show it to you again, but I can't learn it for you. Okay, Glenn, welcome, welcome to the podcast, man. Uh, it's, a, it's so great to finally meet you. I've heard a lot about you. 
I feel like I'm at a little bit of disadvantage. Um, just to start off, can you tell me what is the, the TOV life? What is that? Yeah, the, uh, it, the website is www.thetovlife.com. And uh, what Tav is, and so that word is actually of, of Hebrew origin and is the word that um, actually Moses would have written um, to when God created something, he said, and it's good. Um, and that's like what's written in the Bible as it was translated to English, but he would have said, um, this is Tav. Um, and Tav means it's different than it being good. Good's like, you know, it's like the weather's good. Um, or that golf shot was good. Um, when, when Moses wrote that in like kind of the Hebrew understanding is that it had everything that it needed uh, to grow and to evolve. Um, and like, as it is right now, it's complete. Hmm. That's where the top life came from is just like, okay, like how, what is it that we say that we actually do as therapists um, and whenever we have someone show up, uh, we believe that they're tough, um, that mm. they're complete and they're perfect as is, and that they have everything that they need to, to grow and to evolve. Um, and, you know, as a therapist, it's just probably my initiative to just guide that person to the right environments that we know make the biggest difference outside of our genetics uh, in terms of our growth. Wow, that's great. Yeah, kind of. Y'all just want to stop now because that's so, pretty awesome. So as someone who, someone who sees a therapist and, and finds the, uh, the process often quite painful, you would say somebody walking into your door the first time is already tough, that they are complete, they have the tools they need. And then what, what exactly is your role to help them uncover those, discover them for themselves? How, how does that process work for you? Well, I mean, it, it really depends. Uh, it it depends. I mean, people are either needing to acquire new skills um, or they need to, they need to transition skills that they have in one area of life that they're doing really great in. Uh, and then just like figure out how to make that more functional in an area that they want to grow in. Hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that is in essence, the sense that they're taught, but really, I mean, it's deeper than that. I mean, because they're created, hmm. uh, you know, they have a heart and they have a mind um, and sometimes they just have a brain. Um, and so there, there's really clear understanding between a brain and a mind um, is that a brain is just doing these kind of, um, you know, psychomotor reflexes and functionings, whereas the mind is trying to make sense of it all. And, um, and so if somebody's mind is just kind of messy um, or it's foggy because of uh, whatever they're putting in their body or whatever they're uh, ingesting from a mental standpoint could be uh, information or conversations or just dumb friends. Um, but you know, it's, it's just working with somebody's mind on how they're interpreting the messages, even their emotions or even, uh, their spouses, um, or their friends. Wow. So yeah. That, um, I was going to, I just want to chime in. Um, that's a lot of, for me was getting better books to read. Um, it, the, the, like what uh, Lynn was saying about the consumption when I was ingesting at that time um, was just pretty much either mind-numbing gaming, um, you know, drugs, alcohol, just spite, mean, anger, just, just all the things I was. And um, I think the first book that he gave me was uh, Radical Acceptance. Is that right, Glenn? I can't remember. Probably, probably one of them. He, he Who's just, that by? I have no idea. When do you? Oh, it's it's a Tara Brock book. Nice. Yeah. Nice. She's wonderful. We were actually, I think we brought that up um, in a, a some some Zoom meeting I was having at work. So basically, you know, what he did for me was just kind of said, "All right, dude, you know, this is who you are." And this, where do you want to be? You know, what are you trying to get out of this? And um, don't BS and let's roll. And I, what I loved about Glenn was that, you know, uh, for me personally, you know, I got a hug at the end of it. I already felt like a super connection with this guy and I felt healed. Kind of like what I kind of probably 
probably what it felt like when, you know, Jesus was healing people, you know, it was just that embrace that just, Hey man, you're good enough. You got everything you need right here. Now let's get to work. Hmm. And, uh, radical acceptance. Um, the Enneagram, that was a great one too. start to learn, you know, about, you know, you and your drivers and stuff so like that's, that. So that's who I ha- you're who I have to thank for that. He turned me on to the Enneagram as well, which I thought was total bullshit until I got to the Enneagram nine. And I was like, holy shit, why are they spying on me? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so- Tara Brock is, Tara Brock's fantastic. She has this one loving kindness meditation on insight timer that whenever I am just at wits end and feel like I'm falling apart, I have to, I have to fire that one up and I always feel better for it. Yeah, man. Like it's usually like the input of other people that helps you get out of your own thinking. Um, Hmm. And man, that just like, thank God for people. And the other side of that is, is it's very easy for us to stay keyed into the wrong input. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what obsession is, right? Or uh, circular reasoning, uh, that type of um, short circuiting of thought process. And so uh, undoubtedly. You know, you talked about how the pandemic has made your job different just because of the, the, your lack of physicality with, with the people you're working with. In what ways do you think it's made it harder? I, I've thought a lot about, you know, people maintaining sanity when the world seems sort of insane. Yeah. And, uh, and if you've found it more difficult to work with people or people are struggling more and how you've dealt with that somewhat. Well, the pandemic has really brought on um, a big surge in mental health. I don't know if it makes it harder or if it's just been an increased awareness, but like people are having to spend more time in their homes, mm-hmm. um, not only like in their homes, but like with their kids or their kids with their parents. And that's just bringing out more communication errors and also um, just more relational errors that are just going to be there. Um, you know, instead of sending your kids to the principal, it's like, you can't do that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, undoubtedly, like because of financial stressors uh, that have been placed on people and because of just physical pressures uh, and stressors that have been put on people, uh, there is a need for more, uh, there's just a need for more mental health work uh, that's happening. The thing that we saw even in our home uh, was that we had a little girl that was going to school and now all of a sudden home became school. And we had my wife was going to work. And then now all of a sudden, like her work became teaching a kid. Um, and mm-hmm. like, you know, like, you know, she felt competent with that. Like because of Olive's age, she's like was five. Um, but all of a sudden my wife's turned into a kindergarten teacher. And then like feeling as though that like Olive's foundational education is in the hands of someone who's untrained to do that. Mm-hmm. And, thinking about the type of stress that that was putting on her um, as well as um, just like their relationship. That was another thing that really picked up for a lot of people during COVID was like, you just couldn't get away from your kids. Uh, Your kids couldn't get away from you. And then like dad comes home from work or whatever. And I'm like fun dad because like neither one of them uh, want to be near each other, not because they like hate each other, but because as humans, we just need breaks. Mm -hmm. And and Olive is less emotionally regulated than Keisha. Uh, and so I would have to spend more of my time with Olive, uh, which then created the hunger uh, in our marriage and a lack of communication there simply because of time problems. And then there's not date nights. Uh, mm-hmm. to just like kind of get that reconnection happening again. And I, I think I'm a, I'm a small family uh, that, you know, fortunately hasn't had the financial stressors that comes with COVID. I'm on the fortunate side of that, but those are the real hardships uh, that have come in our family just as a result of COVID. And, um, and so, and all of us are like, yes, to therapy um, during this time. And because we just need, I mean, looking around my, like behind me, I've got two books on communications uh, right behind me. One's called crucial conversations and the other one's just like the need to be a better communicator. Um, and it's just like hmm. super simple. Yeah. Uh, well, I, it kind of spurred a little uh, tangent here, Lynn. I was like, I don't know if you've ever read the book that 
uh, you're going to have to fact check me. I don't know who wrote it. Um, Freakonomics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's from Gladwell, right? Yeah. Yes. See, I feel like everybody's smarter than me these days. <laughs> so, but uh, the, you know, the point I was getting at is that, you know, like uh, they think that Roe v. Wade is actually what, uh, passing that is what actually dropped the rate of crime in the 90s and um, had the, probably the biggest effect on it. And, uh, you know, long explanation of that. I, I almost wonder, I, I wonder what, uh, you know, this, this surge and if it's continued, you know, this surge and acceptance and push for uh, mental health. And, you know, maybe that'll have this, you know, crazy awesome side effect, like a lower crime rate, except maybe less divorce or something. I mean, it's just kind of, just idea popped in. I, I hope that you're onto something. You know, one of the reasons that we have SparkFit, so the way that our business works is we're, we are a SparkFit is what we call our movement empowerment center. It's just like where uh, people go to just like be empowered in their bodies. And then Tav is the mental health aspect of that. And like people will put bumper stickers on their car for like, for gyms. Uh, They'll put bumper stickers Mm -hmm. on their car for political parties. They'll even put bumper stickers on their cars for church. I mean, like there's not even facts involved there. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a goer, you know, I, I love faith. I love church. I'm into it. Uh, but like people will not put bumper stickers on their car for mental health. Um, It's like, and like nobody can hide, but like all of a sudden, like getting your mind healthy is like something to be ashamed of. It's, it is insane. Uh, It is insane in itself. And so uh, that's something actually that, I mean, people can kind of diss out uh, this upcoming generation as much as they want, but the upcoming generation is the most accepting and the most embracing of mental health uh, of any generation that's ever come across. And, um, and you're going to see a, a big benefit uh, in humanity as a result of that. That's going to be a fascinating look to see sort of the butterfly effect of that and see how that spreads out. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm... Yeah, I hope, I hope the three of us are kind of like the, the Ginsbergs of that generation. They, they come to us and think of us as wise old men and celebrate our existence. Well, get a YouTube channel uh, and you'll have a chance. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no kidding. But I thought everybody, everybody who cools on TikTok now, aren't they? TikToking? TikToking? I'm cool. I'm hip. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, my son always watching the YouTube guy and he's so dorky, the things he's watching. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's your Saturday morning cartoon all well, the time. Well, Glenn, not, not to back you up, but uh, I, I'm curious, like what, your path what's your path how did you get here like you know how did you end up in the field you're in how did how did you what led you here well uh, I've never wanted to be anything other than a counselor uh, my whole life um, wow. the only job that I ever wanted um, and that started for me like it got realized for me whenever I was in an inpatient rehab for drugs uh, whenever I was it was eighth grade going into ninth grade summer And it was actually here in Arkansas. The place doesn't exist anymore uh, because it was ran by addicts and addicts relapsed. And they needed, you know, they needed a better structure, undoubtedly. But it was called Mm -hmm. the Deborah Dunstan Adolescent Treatment Center. And I was out on Lake Washita. They made us do um, adventure-based, basically adventure-based therapy. Um, And we had to camp. If you got, if you didn't get going home privileges, uh, then you got the privilege to go camping. Um, and that happened at least once a month. And, uh, you had to do these one-on-ones with your counselor, like every day, um, you had to do at least one hour and, uh, me and John, who is my therapist, uh, who taught me rational motive behavior theory without ever telling me that that's what it was. Um, and, uh, and we were sitting out there and I was telling him something that I thought was really important to me. And, uh, and he just shushed me and, uh, and he goes, Glenn, he goes, turn around. And I turned around and we're out in Lake Washita and I'm, there's the sun setting behind us and, uh, or in front of him behind me. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, the sun's setting. And he goes, man, I know that whatever you're experiencing is probably really difficult in your life, but I'm getting paid for this. And I'm a recovering addict and a counselor. And this is just the best part of my day. And like, <laughs> Like, I was just like, seriously, like, I, I want to get paid for this. You're right. I mean, like, I, I just got it in that moment. Like I was just wow. like, this, 
that is a cool job. I was like, man, I, I thought about doing all these things. And there was so much anxiety in my life, just growing up, not knowing kind of what to do and like how to make it. And in that moment, like he just, you know, I don't know what kind of money John made or, you know, where he came from or any of that stuff. But like it, I believe that it was enough in that hmm. moment. I was just so it, it took away the pursuit of money uh, and the pursuit of fame and like the need to be bigger than anything other than a, a helper. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that, that was it for me. Uh, I just wanted to be a, a therapist. And so wow. uh, I finished high school sober, uh, got really ingrained into the program at AA. I, I had a great Tuesday, Thursday group on at Willow street, 420 Willow. Imagine 420. Uh, <laughs> 420 Willow street. The Tuesday, Thursday night group, Lynn Johnson, if you ever listen to this, thanks for being my sponsor. Uh, another guy named Daryl Brock. Those guys taught me how to gamble and they taught me how to um, stay sober and have fun uh, without doing drugs and drinking. Wow. And, uh, and man, I went to conferences. I spoke at conferences. They made me the president of the little Tuesday, Thursday group, uh, which I thought was a big deal. But really, I look back on it now. I realize it was grunt work. Um, uh, that was just like kind of feeding the ego in this really fascinating way. Um, yeah. Hmm. So like, uh, I, I just, I really appreciated that, but it really got me ingrained into that. And, uh, whenever I got to college, um, they asked me what I wanted to major in. I told them counseling and then they were like, well, that's a master's program. And I was just like, so I'm at the wrong school. And, uh, and they were like, no, no, no. That's like, you know, after you finish your undergrad. And I was like, so you do nothing to get to something again and uh was just you know annoyed um by the educational system but uh so i i started doing personal training at that time and like really picked it up there um, because i loved physical exercise and movement i also like efficiency and productivity Um, and so making you know 20 to 30 dollars an hour versus making 10 to 9 10 to 12 dollars an hour at best buy just it just was way better and it was doing something that I liked and uh, I've got more leadership skills, more connections out of that and just grind it out um, as a personal trainer. Uh, did a little stint as a university of Arkansas cheerleader uh, because I thought that I could and I did. And that was fun. And I bet you were hot, man. <laughs> Tell them what you had to do, Glenn. Tell them what they made you do. They made me cut my hair. Made him cut his hair. Beautiful long hair. Every summer, so I backpacked Europe uh, for three months uh, between high school and college, and I had just won Mister Teen Arkansas, so I was like ripped, looking great. He's getting dreamier and dreamier as we go on, right, guys? Jesus, like back off. Had long hair, and uh, and came back and um, just kept growing it out. And whenever I got on the cheerleading squad. They were like, if you ever want to be on the sidelines here, you've just got to cut your hair. Um, and so they had a real polished look, mm-hmm. uh, but they they were really like into that. And so, man, it's true. I had to cut my hair and then finally got on uh, to get my master's program. And man, I, I've just, I've been a private practicing counselor um, ever since um, I got my master's program. I can't, I have a hard time working for somebody. I'm really great at working with people, uh, but I'm bad at working for people. And so I have a, I have a mental illness called, um, oppositional defiant disorder and, um, oppositional defiant disorder. I mean, it means like, don't give, don't tell me there's a 90 degree rule on a cart path rule, um, at the golf cart. you know, don't tell me to stop at a red light whenever no one else is going. Uh, I, I just, literally loathe um authority and i have a hard time just respecting it Hmm. and especially now that i can afford a lot of the consequences um that (laughs) like like i'm just like well Uh, it's a lot easier to make that choice then yeah you know i've always had a passion for adolescence and always had a passion for addiction um easily because of the origin of why i decided to make this choice and so that's who um that's who i really cater to. Uh, I am, I'm just a, my clients think that I'm a good therapist and I believe them more than I believe my own thoughts. And Hmm. so, um, Hmm. like that seems to be, that's a great, that's a great answer. Go. Can you say that again? I I really like that. I believe them more than I believe my own thoughts, uh, when they say that I'm a good therapist. And so, um, you know, I, I just try to 
say yes to the people I'm connected to. Um, and so as a private practicing therapist, I can just do that. Mm. And, uh, and then I can refer out whenever there's not the connection there, because I know that when there's a connection that there can be some change. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, you asked how I got here to this point. And, um, you know, I think it would be fair now to say that, um, that where I'm at as a clinician and as a therapist is I'm trying to really figure out how to, how to make groups, um, just mm -hmm. like how to do a little bit less individual work, um, and how to create groups where people can grow and connect from each other. Giving people books is good, but like, I did this project um, at the University of Arkansas and it was called the Human Library. And the Human Library was just a real simple concept. I think that's what's happening right now is basically um, someone said they had something to teach. Another person would check out, you know, the book of Enoch. Um, and then Enoch would have to teach Glenn what you said you can teach. And so, um, wow. yeah, I checked out a book on meditation and uh, learned it from a student from India. And that, that dude just sat there and taught me everything that he knew about meditation, took him about an hour and a half to do it, and uh, left with a meditation practice. Um, that's and, awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was super cool. And so that, that's like the thing that I'm trying to figure out now is, as, a, as a therapist is like how to get people, um, how to get people together mm. and committed to that process without uh, without breaking the bank because um, yeah. it's true as a therapist, you've got to charge for your time or else um, you don't get paid anything. And then also um, there's just so many other vessels for that. I mean, there's mm -hmm. so many online groups and clubhouse is another great example of that. Um, you know, there's just so many different places where people can coordinate that. And also, I mean, if you want to help people, there's only so far you can extend yourself. It seems like being trying to build community it allows you to extend the good that you can put out in the world. It's sort of that next level shit. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think the church model is a really great model. Um, I, I think that it, where it seems to be lacking right now. And once again, uh, uh, you know, I'm a, a very proud Christian. I, I follow Jesus harder than um, harder than ever, you know, and hmm. I'm, I'm into that, but uh where when I look at the gaps of church and like what it's why people have chosen to show up in my office on Sunday rather than church mm. um, it is because they get taught skills, uh, they listen mm -hmm. and they feel heard. Um, and those are the things that seem to also be very healing for people. Mm. And I think that that three point sermon, the whatever kind of teaching that you can get, that stuff has become so popularized. I mean, you and I could Google it right now and probably get 10 different people that we liked and didn't like all telling us the same message. And um, hmm. what people can't get is one another in the sense of feeling heard and the sense of um, like listening to somebody in a way that makes that person change. Uh, I don't know if, um, if both y'all are married or not, but, um, you know, when, when your wife feels listened to, it's just a win. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Win. And like, and I'm not always good at that. Dude, I always need to work on that. Yeah. You but you know who you never get. I mean, like the pastor, like I always wonder, like, does the pastor ever feel heard? <laughs> That's gotta be a lonely job, right? Yeah, I don't Surely. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've, it's almost like you have that like kind of relationship when you ever, you're a kid, when you see your teacher out at uh, Walmart or something, you're like, you're just this instrument. You're not this person. Yeah. yeah or yeah, you see him, you see him buy him underwear in the, the department store and you're like, wait, you wear underwear? <laughs> yeah. So have you ever heard of the, uh, the group Everyman? No, I want to ask. This is a, this was founded um, uh, by uh, Dan Doty and the idea it started out with retreats. It's now turned into an online community because the retreat business went into the toilet last year. But the idea is men uh, really suck at emotions 
and mm-hmm. suck at feelings. And the whole idea is teaching men how to slow down and reconnect and then connecting men with other men. So I've been involved with an everyman small group for just over six months now. Um, and it's been sort of a magical experience for me. Like, you know, just sitting in a safe space and sharing with these other men and listening to them share. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's built these, this amazing bond. And I think brought us all to a, a better place of health. It's been a, just a, a godsend. I'm really happy. I, I stumbled onto it. I tried to get so but he like, he bailed after one meeting. That's not bailed after one meeting. Yeah. You um, made one meeting. You made one meeting. I made more than that. That one with you. One of our earlier guests was, was talking about how, um, it's so, socially unacceptable for men to say, you know, I'm just sad or I'm, you know, just to be vulnerable with emotion and feeling in public that it's literally much more acceptable to say, I'm an addict, you know, I'm I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict. And this AA group where I'm vulnerable and I reach out and make these connections, that's okay. But this, Mm -hmm. for me, when we did do the everyman, um, that's what it felt like. It felt like uh, an AA group of really trusted people, except, you know, I'm not working a 12-step system per se, yeah. but I, I kind of am. I'm kind of doing the same work. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm turning it over to somebody else. They're kind of my, my, my higher power. And, um, you know, they're, they're looking out for my, my good, my mental health. Mm-hmm. And, um, the only other thing I wanted to say real quick before I lost this thought was earlier you were talking about building community and that's what you're trying to do now. And we've talked about it before, Enoch, of how the garden metaphor, how, you know, you, my sister, Gwen, these other people in my life that have become just these awesome things in this garden that I go out to and get my cup refilled Hmm. And also turn around and pour that cup back into it. It's kind of like he's saying, we teach each other. I feel like he's already kind of done that. I mean, I, I really do feel like, you know, this podcast right here, this whole experiment we're doing is definitely a result um, of one of many things that kind of came together, but of, of Glenn's trying to spread this uh, community and do this wholeness thing with, with um, you know, the top. It's just that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Glenn, do you mind if I, I back you up a little bit once again? And and do you mind if I, I dig a little more personally into your kind of your story? Uh, you t- tell me if I've stepped over any bounds or if I if I quit, probe too far. Yeah, I'll put my uh, big pants on, man. Awesome. Uh, well, I, my, my two questions really were, number one, were you always christian and in the church and did or did that come later and my second question is like what led you down that dark path to be between eighth and ninth grade end up in that inpatient rehab well the uh you know i i guess your first question gets answered by the second question because (laughs) i think that the christian path is a it is a path of light and Mm -hmm to be in that dark is is a really difficult place to just like you don't exude christianity uh mm. whenever you're in that path however um i mean i you know i'm a i'm a I, it all belongs and so mm. it's really hard one thank of you, the thank you tara brock that's another good one yeah <laughs> yeah i mean richard Rohr is a, a really big influence too he mm. he's a great writer on the subject of that and he's actually there's a book that's called on the threshold of transformation it's a daily meditations for men book uh that is uh just absolutely solid but to go back to the to go back to the question no um i would not have considered myself a christian my whole life Mm -hmm. um uh, there's been very purposeful deviations from christianity uh that were choice driven by me um, and by circumstances. And one of them was just like, just what I call poor modeling. Um, mm. Christianity was just really ineffective and meaningless um, because of the people who claim to be Christians. Mm. Um, like, just like, I mean, gross, like, who cares? Like, I mean, if that's just what it does, uh, I'm out. Um, and yeah. so it, it was a pretty easy rejection point for me, actually. Um, I, I was initially 
like kind of brought up that way, like most young white dudes in the South, um, you know, just brought up Christian and going to church. I did a kind of Methodist family line. Um, Were you a, you a small town guy? No, I mean, I was Conway, Arkansas. Okay. So. Yeah. That's a pretty decent sized town. Yeah. The, my idea of, uh, of sort of variety was, you know, are you Baptist or are you Methodist? Like that was, <laughs> that was as wide as our religious uh, um, exposure really got yeah. up until I turned 18 and left town. Yeah. Dude, it, I mean, so for me, like, you know, I did, I grew up Methodist and I made that really big decision that you make whenever you're a young kid and you like go through confirmation, mm-hmm. uh, just confirm if you really mean to be and like it was just like um you know i i went i went through that but then you know like i you know i love my dad uh you know dad if you listen i don't mean to talk shit about you uh, but you know the things that you did that were not modeling of christianity that just made it an easy punt for me hmm. uh was how many beer cans that i picked up for you um how many times that uh you know, like that I found weed and y'all lied about it. Uh, how many times that you and my mom fought, um, mm-hmm. how many times that you chose your friends over your family? Uh, mm-hmm. those things were just, they were not appealing to me. Um, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't impressed. And so, you know, because of those things, uh, it was pretty easy for me to just kind of kick rocks on Christianity. And I would also say that this kind of leads to that dark hole, um, I went through and, and Jesus, you know, has this moment too. And, and it's super clear why, why there's nothing written on Jesus in adolescence, because if he was human, um, nobody wants an account of their adolescence. Um, <laughs> their young adulthood. No uh, way that looks pretty in retrospect, you know, no, no. Like, I just, don't write that. Um, and so, you know, but there is that verse and it's my life objective verse and it's Luke 2.52. Um, and in Luke 2.52, uh, Jesus has been busted. Uh, he's been caught. He ran away uh, from home and uh, he was caught um, in a town away, hanging out at the church. And um, and so that's where they say they caught him. I think that really plays into like where they next find him. Um, and so I'm <laughs> no Bible critic or anything like that, but you know, I just, yeah. uh, I can tell the story and, um, <laughs> and understand what's going on. And so, uh, it says that and Jesus grew in spirit stature and in favor with both God and man. And that's like, just like what happens, uh, between the time that they find him and then the time that Jesus is like, you know, given the beatitudes and the sermon on the Mount talk. And yeah. so that whole time he's just spent growing in those ways and um and that's like just what is alluded to and so um yeah man where's the freaking code you you, you skipped over the you yada yada the good part <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that we all have lived it though you know and i that's that's the bridge that i would say that we've all crossed and um and our experience and and so to say that i wasn't christian during those times it's arguable um, did I not, did I look like a Christian? I mean, no one would have confused me for, you know, an altar boy. Um, and so I don't know if they still would, but the, the key for You're me, a little old for it now, no yeah, offense. For that. <laughs> no, but nobody can see that, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Audience at home. He does, he's not, he doesn't look like an altar boy. <laughs> I found myself, um, I found myself being interested in Christianity again, once I got out of rehab and, you know, AA really made you, AA really forced me uh, to reconcile the word God. Um, And man, what a really frustrating word uh, that is and Mm. how much manipulation they do to just get you okay with using that word again. Mm. Um, It was really helpful. And I remember, you know, John, you know, this, this counselor who gave me my future job and then I guess helped me find God. um, He was just like, man, you know, if you just think that religion's a bunch of hokey pokey stuff, um, then, and they just made up God, why don't you make up God? And, uh, and I was like, freaking, I will, uh, you know, (laughs) I can do that. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and so he was like yeah let's like let's you know he got a dry erase board and he was just like just start writing some characteristics that you want god to have just put them right up there and i was like okay and so we just got after it man and god That's was awesome. god was omniscient he was on he was on me powerful um he was uh kind he was just 
uh, he was, he had unconditional love. Um, he was in like, I think that was, I mean, it might've been it. Um, I think I just put caring to like that. Just God was caring. And, yeah. uh, and John was like, okay, that's your God. And then he like, was like, all right, now you're going to make this box and this is going to be called a God box. Um, and, uh, is it like an AA thing? Do you actually have a God box? Well, um, I don't know. Um, I've given it to almost every one of my sponsees that have to reconcile their relationship with God. And, wow. uh, but, we, but we call it a God can now. Um, and <laughs> it's evolved into a God can. I love it. Can. So that way, every time that like you can't deal with something, you write it down on a piece of paper and you put it in your God can. Uh, okay. so it's just like the symbolic thing of like, you know, you can't, God can. And so okay. put it I love it. That's better. That's yeah. so much better than yeah. the box. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Better than the box, man. So uh, I thought it was going to be like, for, at first, I thought it was going to be like a cuss jar where you had to, like, you know, when you, hey. when you dropped yeah. an F bomb, you had to put a quarter <laughs> in there. So, yeah. you know, that was, that was my reconciling with God. Um, and That's a cool story. I got out of rehab, uh, I was not, I was still not sold on Christianity and on religion. I loved um, AA's understanding of spirituality as um god's attempt to reach man whereas religion is uh, man's attempt to reach god and mm. i thought that that was just such a really simple thing that was happening because i was just like why is everybody just working so hard uh why do they have to do this thing and show up on this day and give this money and read this book and do these things like why do they have to just do all these things uh just to like be in god's life like i it just seems like god's just kind of stuck up and <laughs> it's like judgmental and is anal retentive um and somewhat emotionally dysregulated and um and and any, arbitrary you know it's, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. yeah yeah completely arbitrary and so i got connected with the group though uh, because when you're in high school and you're trying to stay sober there's just limited options for friends and environments hmm. that you can connect to and so i had to find the the least judgy christians and that's called young life um, and so for any parent that's out there listening that wants to get their kids involved in something, Young Life is a great program for that. Um, it's absolutely, I mean, it's just beautiful. Nice. And um, I really appreciated that program. I got connected to a Young Life leader named Michael Harrison, another one named Justin Rasnick. And those guys, I mean, they took me fishing. They took me hunting. Uh, they, Michael Harrison, I, don't, I mean, I'm I'm amazed, Michael, if you listen to this, that you're still married, um, not because you're not a great husband, but because you actually convinced your pregnant wife and then newborn child wife uh, to let a group of high school kids come into your house on a Friday morning at 6.30 in the morning. And uh, I mean, that, <laughs> Heather, you're the Virgin Mary. I mean, just amazing. And, <laughs> like, those guys. Michael would show up. Michael was so great. Like I would say that his objective was to show us who Jesus was uh, through his actions. And Michael would show up to our soccer practices. I mean, we were state champs, but nobody knew uh, that we even had soccer practice other than Michael Harrison. Wow. And Michael would show up to our soccer practice and he would just like sit out there and just be a creeper on the sidelines and like watch us play soccer and we we're just like what is he doing and now man every one of those guys <laughs> did he have the nosy mom coming up do you have a kid here <laughs> <laughs> how many people i mean like uh, i don't he didn't even flip off the people that would drive by and yell grass berries at us uh, <laughs> and it was, uh, kids are so kind dude conway's conway's tough man in fort smith that's that did not happen that did not happen to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, that was my reconciling path back to Christianity um, was knowing Michael. What, knowing Michael was actually really key to me. I never quit learning about religions. Uh, that's still something that I just absolutely dig. There's a book that I'm looking at right now called the Nag Hammadi Scriptures, which are basically all of the kind of Gnostic texts that are written about Christianity and um, in regards to Christianity. There's also a book back there called The Mystic Christ uh, that is another book about more, more so historical Jesus as well as uh, the figurative understanding of Christ. So 
Christianity for me has to allow me to um, engage my intellect. It can't be one of those check your brains at the door and swallow the pill of knowledge and, you know, don't ask any questions. Like that. It's very Jewish of you. It's very yeah. Jewish of you. Dude, that one just like rub. So that's where I'm at with Christianity and how I got into a dark hole um, was probably, you know, I had an older brother who introduced me to hotter girls and the, mm -hmm. that were his friends and mm -hmm. they all like to smoke weed. And I thought that to have sex with them, I probably needed to as well. And so I just that's started just logic. I mean, yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And you, and it, uh, I think 13, Rome 14 uh, years old. That just makes yeah, sense. Jim Rome says it always. He says, yes, yeah, sex always wins. It always wins. It's undefeated. <laughs> it, 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 yes. And so uh, then um, I, I was actually in the, I got arrested the first time and this was probably the downfall. Mm. I got arrested whenever I was going into seventh grade um, for possession. I had some weed on me. Um, actually, it wasn't even mine. I was riding around with my brother and his friend. We got pulled over. They both were long haired, looked like terrorists at the time. Uh, it was <laughs> like, put it in the back seat. They, uh, they arrested, they both denied it, said it was mine. And the cop came up and said, they're both saying that that was yours. Is that yours? And I was like, yep, that was mine. And so, uh, I, I went ahead and took the bullet for that, went to jail. Whoa, they flipped on you. Oh man. Dude, they definitely just like pin that on me, but yeah, like a rolled over like bowling pins. Jeez. Judas kiss. Um, it's a rite of passage in Christianity. You have to be betrayed by somebody close to you. Um, and if you don't, then you, you will. Um, and huh. it's coming. And, and I was about to say, Enoch, how many, how many times have, uh, have we, have we kissed each other? Like <laughs> <laughs> there's been some Judas smooching along our path. Yeah. Uh, that, hey guys, I, uh, I'm going to have to drop. I got a little family emergency of oh, no. having to pick. Man, I think you go handle your kid and then Enoch and I can just sort that out. We'll wrap. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you, brother. You're awesome. Uh, I love you. I'll see you Wednesday and <laughs> we'll uh, start talking again. Awesome, man. Bye, guys. See you, buddy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think just finishing whatever other so the questions that you asked were so yeah so you you i guess you to kind of get back where we were so you were sort of some bad influences poor choices you end up getting arrested possession of weed was that and when you ended up in rehab or was that uh was that a it's like two years later i end up in oh, rehab wow. um the the key here is that at that point um i got put on probation and I was using drugs for a reason. Um, and that reason was mostly to avoid feelings mm -hmm. and been, been there. Yeah. When took away when they took away my ability to use weed, I had to resort to other things. And, mm -hmm. and I did not, I'm like, I'm not a failure. Uh, I don't want to fail. And, um, so I did anything to avoid failing a drug test. I've still to this day, never failed a drug test, but been to drug rehab and, uh, which <laughs> is one of the really like fascinating cases where the judge didn't even want to send me there. But, um, I, that just like led me to psychedelics. Uh, they wouldn't do a spinal tap. And <laughs> so I started doing acid, started doing mushrooms at like kind of high quantities. Wow. And uh, then I started doing meth um, and the things you could get out of your system at a, in a very rapid rate. And so you could use and abuse and um, that's a fast downhill slide too. a fast downhill slide. And so, um, man, I, I was, I was so knowing what I know now about brain research and, uh, in drugs, I, I was very fortunate for that thing to slide mm -hmm. downhill very fast. Mm -hmm. Um, prolonged usage of that stuff is just damning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, fortunately for me, it wasn't the case, but man, it was bad enough to, you know, it was bad enough to want to change and want to stick to a change. Wow. And so that, after that stint in rehab, that's sort of, that's when you started your sober journey. That's when you, uh, you sort of moved back towards the path to refinding your Christianity and, uh, and, and got on that path, huh? And that's when you said you want to help other kids. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I, I didn't actually commit to Christianity and like engaging that part of my spirituality until I was probably a, I mean, 
probably a junior in college. Um, oh, wow. I had a, as a junior in college, I had a, I did this kettlebell workshop and a pastor came, his name's Terry Gosnell. Uh, if he ever listens to this, Terry, uh, thank you so much. Uh, Terry was, I mean, it was like watching a deer um, walk for the first time in a kettlebell class. I mean, he, <laughs> he's one of the worst movers I've ever seen in my life. My heart just went out for him. I was just like, man, like I've, you know, I've got to help this guy. To be, and, to, to, to be fair for completion's sake, you've never seen me swing a kettlebell. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you compete with Terry. Uh, be happy for the story to be told differently. So uh, yeah, I mean, to this day, Terry, you still win. Um, so I went up to him afterwards and I was like, Terry, I was like, man, I like, you've got to do some privates. I was just like, man, you need some help and you need some one-on-one attention. And like, you're just not getting going to get this in a workshop. Hmm. And, uh, and he was just like, man, I'd love to, but I can't, I'm a pastor at, you know, uh, Trinity Methodist church here in town. And, you know, I make a pastor salary. I'm not a, mm-hmm. you know, not a personal training client. And, and I was just like, well, what, you know, what I would like for exchange is um, I'll, I want you to meet me uh, for as many hours as I meet you per week. I want that amount of hours in you teaching me about the Bible. And, <laughs> uh, and I'm just really interested in this stupid text uh, that seems to have such powerful, um, you know, importance in life. And, uh, and I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand, like I open it up and look for inspiration in it. I found myself in like numbers. Um, and I'm just like, what the hell? Who begot, and who beget who and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. And then I'm just like, dude, why is there four of the same narrative that aren't even the same narrative? Like I just, I was so annoyed uh, by the Bible and just turned off by it. But man, doing coffees with doing coffee and whatever they call breakfast, um, at the village inn uh, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it all began. The village inn. I love it. <laughs> the village inn. Uh, it like that. Just that really transformed it for me. I mean, Terry wow. did. He really helped me break down the Bible, and um, I was just like, you know, you need to just like get yourself plugged in. And um, I was hungry for it, and that was very helpful for me. Yeah, so. I'm fat. I'm fascinated with that. Like, I, you know, you're this young kid, you're a college kid, you're trying, you're you're hustling, trying to make a little extra buck. I mean, sure, you like helping people work, but I mean, this is what you do to make money. Yeah. Like, what? Where were you that led you to that? I, I'm going to ask this guy to teach me about the Bible. I mean, did you feel sorry for him? Like I'm going to throw him a bone. Were you really just seeking and hungry or were you coming at it from a place of, you know, I want to see what this guy has to say about this stuff that I think is kind of bullshit. Well, I mean, it definitely was that. I mean, I, I, I had a, you know, it's just so apparent to me that the Bible is a very powerful text mm-hmm. and, um, and so understanding what I understand about my fixation, I'm interested, you know, f- my ego is actually just driven towards things that are powerful. And, um, and so the Bible as something that is powerful that I don't understand, you know, puts me at a disadvantage in life. And so this is all subconscious reasoning uh, that I'm later understanding and reporting to you as if it's fact. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's helpful to understand. But at the time, you know, at the time, I was, I was hungry, you know, for that. And I, I, I wanted to ask a stranger for that kind of help. And Mm. I didn't know, um, I didn't know, you know, that it was going to come at the level and at the fashion of that. But, you know, that led me, I mean, after working with Terry and both his body and in my spirit, that led me to eventually applying um, after I finished my master's in psychology or my master's in clinical mental health, I went on to apply uh, for a master's in divinity at Candler university in uh, Atlanta. I was accepted there. I had a graduate um, assistant position that was all kind of paved and put forth. And I ended up not doing it um, because I had another spiritual mentor that was that he was actually taught at Southern Baptist university. And he was like, dude, Candler, like, they're going to let you talk about, you know, third Timothy, they're going to let, you know, they think that there are books in the Bible that just didn't get approved. Um, there's a revelation out there, like, you know, so revelation, the book of revelation is John's revelation, but Peter has a revelation in acts. Sure. Uh, James is reported to have a revelation. 
Um, and then there's also like, I mean, there's a bunch of other, there's, disciples. there's a lot of crap that didn't make the final cut and it's not exactly clear, you know, <laughs> those were always the best decisions, you know, where it was like, he was like, dude, you can't go there. He was just like, I, he was so serious. He was like, I will literally lay down in front of your car and you will have to drive me over before I let you go wow. uh, at university. And that really weighed pretty heavy on he was me. So, he felt so strongly about it. Wow. He felt so strongly about it. And so um, I just, I knew, I just knew that wasn't the right path. I'm mm -hmm. um, happy that I didn't end up doing that because, um, you know, I'd probably be some mega pastor right now. But, uh, <laughs> seriously, like a, like, <laughs> yeah. And I can uh, see that you've got the charisma. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, I remember having a conversation when I was a teenager with a pastor where, and he, we were talking about some passage in the Bible. And then all of a sudden he started saying these things that didn't quite fit with the, the basic Sunday narrative. And I can't remember the meat of the conversation anymore at this point, but I remember this light bulb going off in my head saying like, wait, he knows a lot more shit than he's sharing with us. <laughs> And I, I thought, God, divinity school sounds fascinating. Like there was a part of me. I was like, what? that sounds really cool. Like I want to know the inside scoop that they're not telling the average parishioner or whatever. Oh man. Oh man. Like that, that's been my whole deal. Yeah. I was telling social, like one of the things that I was reading um, and I have like right next to me, I, I've got two versions of the Bible. Um, and then I have this thing called the Nag Hammadi scriptures. And uh, the Nag Hammadi scriptures are the basically all the Gnostic texts uh, that are written in a compilation. And it's uh, it, and I just use it all, man. I, I, I have to. Hmm. And I'm not interested. I'm interested in seeking Jesus hmm. and I'm interested in being confused uh, when I mean, I couldn't have gotten a better compliment from Soch and saying that he felt embraced like Jesus. I mean, hmm. I, I, I literally like if there's one thing that I want to emulate in life, it's the presence of Jesus. And mm. it's not, and it's different than the presence of God. Mm. And because if Jesus was God, Jesus would say like, I am God, uh, but he doesn't ever say that um, yeah. or it's not written that he ever says that. And I think that it would be a fine, it'd be easy for them to write that. And so, mm. um, and I, you know, I, I, to all the other Christians out there, you know, I, I'll see you in heaven. Um, you know, when we wake up tomorrow, um, or hmm. you're in my house tonight and the, uh, I'm a big believer in that. And man, it, this is a, what do you mean by that? Start, let me, let me back you up. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, that heaven is, uh, that the kingdom is here, the hmm. kingdom now, um, eternal life is something that is given. Um, it's like, it's just basically like turning on, I mean, it's just a stupid analogy in my mind right now. And I've never even used it before. I'll probably I love, I love stupid analogies. Go ahead. I mean, it's like, it's like taking a shower in the cold. Um, so life without life without God is like taking a shower only using cold water every single day. And then like, when you find God, it's like that you found the warm and hot setting on the, <laughs> and it's just like, Oh my God, like, like I'm never going back. <laughs> go back this is a lot um this you made me think of when i moved into our house uh the, somebody had set the uh had set the the internal knob on our shower setting to where you could only get it so hot and it took me about a week to figure out how to change that and i thought god the shower sucks you would have a governor on that like why was <laughs> i know uh, I, mean, I think they were masochists but that's just a simple way of being like man eternal life is like and anybody who knows that like you could be having warm showers is now like, dude, I'm not doing the cold shower. Um, you know, I'm not going back. <laughs> it's like this conscious choice that like, man, all right, like I'm here and I'm doing it for this and boom, here I go. But like, you'll be back. Uh, and that to me, um, you know, eternal life, heaven, um, it's here, you know, mm -hmm. that, that we, we create it, we live in it. And, yeah. Um, it's been given to us. And so I think that that's also the word Tav uh, that gets to get kind of recirculated back into that is that yeah. like, it's like, it is created. I, lo I love that image. I do think a lot of modern Christianity tends to focus too much on the reward that will, it, it, once you get through the shit that is here and there, there's really something beautiful about the idea that, that heaven is what we make it. Yeah. And heaven can be right here if you make it. 
man, I, I love that non-attachment work that came out of uh, some of my Buddhist and Hindu studies. Mm. Uh, that was just like, okay, like, you know, if you really, if, if you really believe Jesus, um, how many, how many of the like narratives about Jesus can you detach from Jesus to think that you love him? And, um, and I do this, like, I was like, okay, let, let's just do this with my wife. Huh. Uh, and so I use her because my relationship is really secure. And if she listens to it, this will be great. But like, let's just say I've got this image of my wife that she's, um, that she's flawless. And then uh, the next thing I know, um, she like forgets to close the freezer. And now all of our, all of our frozen goods are dethawed. Well, that's not perfect. Uh, there's a flaw there. And so now all of a sudden, like I'm really at this like question of faith. And so can I take away the fact, can I still love her without the fact that she's flawless? So then I just take that away. Okay, all right. So she's, she's in error. She's an errant human. Uh, now let's like give her the quality of she's all knowing. Um, and okay, man, she's super all knowing. She knows everything. And then um, she's like, Hey, do you know how to get to Kroger? And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't love her anymore. Oh my God. I can't follow her anymore. She's not all knowing. It's like, no, can I, can I take away that and still love her? Um, what about that? She's unconditional, that her love is unconditional. And, um, and then like, you know, I get to the point where I walk in the house, my shoes are still on, I've hit the bathroom and I come out of the bathroom and before she hugs me, she says, you're supposed to take your shoes off at the door. She won't hug me until I take my shoes off at the door. And so man, here's a clear condition of her love, um, or piece of her affection. And then I'm like, okay, well, can I love her without the notion that she's unconditional and that she has unconditional love? And so it's like just being able to remove every single attachment that you have. Could you love, would you believe Jesus um, if he wasn't the son of God? Like, would that inspire you? Would you believe Jesus if he didn't rise from the dead? Would you believe Jesus if he didn't die um, actually on the cross? Would you believe Jesus? Um, and like, how many of those things can you take away from the story and narrative of Jesus before you lose your faith? That's really interesting exercise. Oh man, it was like, it was, it's foundational for me. And so, you know, Steve Shadrach, one of my mentors, he was just like, you know, you have a way of sitting with heathens that uh, most general people don't. And I was like, well, yeah, it's because, um, you know, I I understand their questions. Mm. Uh, I understand conditional love and like, that's a, it's key. One more, one more religious topic, just because I, I, before we, before we move on, but I did, just last year, I read a book called uh, called How Jesus Became Christian. Mm. And I forget the name of the author, but the and he I, I only mentioned it because you seem like you're a real student of these things. You might find it a fascinating read, but uh, he takes he, he takes uh, Paul to task a bit. And almost it gives yeah. him sort of neg- some negative connotation, a little. Ha- he, I, I agree. He's a little harsh with Paul, but um but it's a, it's a very fascinating read and how, you know, this man who was clearly a Jewish man who grew up in a Jewish tradition and likely still in many ways ascribed to the Jewish faith, but then wanted to add more to it, how he then became something completely separate that could be sold to all the Gentiles of the world. It's really, it's, it's a, it's a cool read. Uh, you should, you should check it out if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and and honestly, I've got about five percent battery left. Uh-oh. Um, my computer and my charger is uh, purposefully at work so that I don't work too much while I'm at home on the weekends. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I have to have boundaries like that. You know. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. You know, couple, couple of quick questions, and then I'll let you go. Okay. What gets you up in the morning? Um, man, I my first the this one's simple. The thing that you think about first thing in the morning and last thing at night are your gods. Um, and so, uh, for me, I wake up in the morning and I'm hungry to do some study. And that's like the first thing that happens for me. And so Mm -hmm. gratitude is probably the thing that hits me, uh, first. And then, um, that's what wakes me up in the morning. Nice. And a fi- final question, you, you work with so many people who have so many problems. I mean, counseling, it's, it's a demanding job. What do you, what do you do to keep yourself sane? 
Um, well, yeah, there's quite a few things. Number one is um, I, I, I practice what I preach. Um, and so um, I'm a user of mindfulness techniques. I'm a user of physical exercise. I'm a user of play. Uh, play has to be incorporated. And so you have to play. Um, and, uh, and I'm a user of boundaries. Um, and so I just actually like create some boundaries. And I invite my wife to hold me accountable to those things. And, um, you know, I wouldn't have to invite her, but because I do, I listen. That's great uh, advice. That is such good advice. Yeah. So, you know, she like, she's really, she's really helpful with that. Mm. And, um, and so uh, those things are all really helpful for me. And then, I, I mean, I use, um, I use rational motive behavior theory. I mean, I, it's not hard for me not to take my work home uh, mm. because like I don't over identify with anybody's problems. Uh, they're just not mine. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very effective and productive person in the time that I have with people. And um, if they need more time, I tell them that they need more time and that we need to schedule that. And um, if I'm not confident in their abilities or my ability to communicate um, and their ability to execute what's being asked of them, then um, we just spend more time um, on that. And so, uh, it's not hard not to take that stuff home. I'm also outpatient therapy, which also really helps. Mm-hmm. And outpatient therapy, it is a level of care that is not as intensive. You know, the, the mm-hmm. likelihood I'm seeing bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or um, any kind of extreme psychosis um, mm-hmm. is pretty slim. And if I do see it, then a lot of times that's getting referred out. Sure. And, and so similar with like clients with like high risk suicide, homicidality. Um, those, the level of care is not outpatient therapy. So right, right. a lot of people think that the job that, you know, outpatient therapists do is really difficult. And maybe it is uh, for some to take that home that are meeting demands. But for me, I also just only accept the clients that I know that I'll be effective with. So um, that, that's another big, big help. Yeah, that's great to have that flexibility, to be able to do that. Real, real quick before I lose you, can you give me like a 60 seconds? What is rational motor behavior therapy? Yeah, it's rational emotive uh, behavior. Emotive, oh, so sorry. Emotive behavior therapy. So the thought is, is that all humans are basically acting out their emotions. And so like right now, um, if I feel, if, if I'm feeling calm, then you're just seeing calm being acted out. And Um, if that emotion is fitting for this, then that's pretty rational. And like, I can move on. However, if I just started like answering your questions and I was um, acting frustrated. um, And so then all of a sudden I started like, you know, it was just clear, like I'm very frustrated. um, And I didn't have the ability to ration with myself and say, well, should I be frustrated here? Mm -hmm. Um, That's the feeling that I really want to be exuding right now. And uh, rational motive behavior theory is like that your behavior is being ran by your emotions. And most of the time they're irrational. And uh, it's your job as a human to engage your mind to help your emotions become more rational. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. God knows we always do. Don't forget to subscribe so you can continue to follow along on this journey. And please join us. Let's get better together or at the very least, 10% less shitty. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and now Clubhouse at True Brody Sattva. That's true, T-R-U. And don't forget to check in at our blog, thebrodysattva.com, to keep up to date on what's going on in our world. As always, this show is written by Enoch Daniel and Sosh Woodbun, and produced by me. And special thanks to Scott Holmes, who wrote our theme music. Until next time, keep working, keep seeking, and keep living that Brody Sattva life. Bye now.